Hey there, and welcome to Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is January 1968. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, my name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Rob, uh, given the state of things these days, I feel like we should maybe uh, at the top of the episode do a state of American democracy check-in. <laughs> uh, there, There is democracy still in America thus yes. far. By the time this is released a couple of weeks later, you know, who knows? Um, but, you know, I, I really want to fix this episode to a specific point in time because, you know, nothing ensures evergreen content like uh, <laughs> mentioning current events right at the top of the show. Um, well, let's see. Uh, I, our president has been impeached a second time today. Um, mm-hmm. That's exciting, I guess. No, no one has tried to storm the Capitol for at least six days. Yeah, so, so far, that's that's positive. Six um, days since last incident is the sign. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and and the Supreme Court has been very quiet. So I mean, <laughs> there's there's the um, uh, the bright side. But oh, I just learned right before this started that we have uh, they've opened up a whole bunch of uh, of timberland. So now the threat for the spotted owl in Oregon is so insanely increased that they're considering just moving it right up to, uh, you know, like near extinction. uh, Oh, man. So uh, that was a a parting shot from the administration that just went through today, too. So is that the sort of thing that can be changed like next week? I hope so. Yeah, Um, I think it's going to be tangled a little bit. But yeah. I don't think they can chop down all of the trees in, in a week, but you know, mm, I don't know. A lot, a lot, a lot of pent up chopping. Yeah, out there. that's true. Well, yeah, it, it, it has been a, a very eventful month in American history. Um, and, and Hey, this week's episode covers a very eventful month in Marvel comics history. Mm-hmm. Um, so to make sure that we do it justice, uh, we have called in a professional, uh, for this episode. He's the Eisner award-winning author of reading comics, how graphic novels work and what they mean. He's uh, also the creator of the 616 Society, a one-issue-per-day Marvel Comics book club. Douglas Wolk, thank you for joining us a fourth time on Marvel by the Month. Fourth time. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Fantastic to be back. Thank you. Fantastic is the right word for the fourth time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did I know that you had won an Eisner? Probably. I don't think we've given you the credit before. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm yeah. sure someone's going to dig up audio of me saying that the last time you were on the show. But um, yeah, that's wild. Uh, and you you have uh, another book uh, that is imminent. I do. Uh, it's coming out supposedly late 2021. Uh, it is called All of the Marvels. And it is about uh, having read all 27,000 Marvel superhero comics. 
Whew. Yeah. It, I did it and lived, sort of. That's good to know for our yeah. our future. Uh, is It's not so dark. Uh, and we're chipping away, you know, only 10 or 12 at a time. So it's not <laughs> right now. Yeah. Manageable, non-toxic doses. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see. The last time you were a guest on the show uh, was uh, at our first live show, uh, which was almost a, a year ago now. Oh, that's right. Wow. Yeah. I think that was basically the last time any of us left our house to go out yes. in public. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, with that one, we covered uh, the changing of the Avengers lineup and there were a lot of you know interconnected storylines. Uh, but this is this also is a very big month uh, for Marvel Comics this month. It's big in a lot of ways. I mean, it's the month that the Marvel line expanded when the split books, uh, Tales to Astonish, Tales of Suspense, Strange Tales, started breaking out into their own titles. We see uh, two of them have gone away, and there's a one one shot this month, Iron Man and Submariner. And then there's the first issue of Captain America, which is numbered 100, and the first issue of The Incredible Hulk, which is numbered 102. Uh, And in all the Marvel comics published that month, the bullpen bulletins has an announcement about how, quote, this is the beginning of the second golden age of Marvel, and it's going to be a never-ending joyride. Well, there. (laughs) I mean, it didn't, it's never-ending thus far. Uh, True, true. It may not always have been a joyride. There have been some rough, bumpy patches but it's pretty i i mean obviously we're still here talking about marvel comics so that's true it's pretty good um so what you you mentioned that the line had expanded um can you kind of give us an idea of why now like why marvel was able to add more titles why they decided to add more titles uh to to the roster as i understand and i could be wrong about this what happened was that their contract with their distributor, Independent News, which famously, starting in the late 1950s, had only let them publish eight titles a month, had gotten loosened some. Uh, maybe Independent News had gotten the sense, like, yeah, this is really profitable. We could be making more money if we let them publish more titles. And the reason it had been restricted, of course, is that it was owned by the same people who owned DC Comics, mm-hmm. who were not in love with Martin Goodman's publishing company flooding the market with as many comics as they wanted to, which they were for a while in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at this point, for whatever reason, the line expands. So, And for whatever reason, Marvel is also able to hire enough people to produce more than eight or 10 comics a month. So we're starting to see like 15, 16 comics a month. Those split books, like I mentioned, turn into two comics a piece. We saw Captain Marvel is in Marvel Superheroes and is about to break out into his own title. Captain Savage debuted within the last couple of months. And there's a little bit more happening. And you sense that there's a little bit more carte blanche to what they can do. Uh, Well, we can't wait to dive into the Marvel comics that came out in January of 68. Uh, But first, uh, let's ground ourselves in some historical context for January 1968. Uh, Rob, would you be so good as to get us started? I would be pleased to. Uh, On the 3rd of January 1968, U.S. Senator Eugene J. McCarthy of Minnesota announced that he would directly challenge President Johnson for the Democratic Party nomination for president and arranged to have his name placed on the ballot for the New Hampshire primary. So uh, on the 9th, U.S. President Lyndon Johnson pulled ahead of Richard Nixon, the favorite for the Republican nomination in two polls, 
The polls reported that if the election was held right then, the incumbent president would defeat any of the four most prominent possibilities for Republican nomination, Richard Nixon, George Romney, Ronald Reagan, and Nelson Rockefeller. Yeah. Quite, a, quite a few names that uh, we still recognize these days. <laughs> Nelson Rockefeller became uh, the president of a couple of alternate Marvel Earths. So. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so you're seeing that, you know, President Johnson's popularity is being dragged down because of Vietnam uh, to the point where McCarthy is ready to primary him. But still, at this point in January 68, he's still polling pretty well. Let's keep an eye on those numbers as the year progresses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's see. Uh, on the 7th of January, uh, the Los Angeles Times reported uh, that a group of over 200 Caltech students marched to and demonstrated in front of NBC's studios in Burbank <laughs> to get the network to renew Star Trek for a third season. Uh, what appeared to be a grassroots campaign, though, was actually orchestrated by showrunner Gene Roddenberry. It, he didn't have Twitter to, to help him, you know? Uh <laughs> Was there such a thing as AstroTurf then? The Astrodome did exist. So okay. I think, but I don't know if it had the turf. It was definitely, indoor stadiums were a thing. I would assume that the turf must have been part of the deal, but. Um, okay. On the 12th uh, of January, the American Telephone and Telegraph Company, known as AT&T, which controlled all but a few of the telephones in the United States, announced plans to provide a universal emergency telephone number that could be dialed quickly from any telephone in the country. According to AT&T, a computer search found that the number most likely to have no conflict with an existing area code or exchange and to also meet the requirements of not being misdialed from a rotary phone was 911. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> um, on the 13th of January 1968, Johnny Cash performed his historic concert at the Folsom State Prison in California. The concert was not the first that Cash had performed at a penal institution, uh, nor was Cash the only artist to appear that day. The Statler brothers, Carl Perkins, the Carter family, and the Tennessee Three were also present. Uh, but it was the first time that Cash had recorded a live album inside a prison, and Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison would become the number one country music album in the United States after going on sale in May. Yeah, wow, what a great album! I didn't. I I always think that it's uh, that it happened a little earlier than this, just because mm -hmm. of what's happening with rock music and that culture too. Uh, it seemed like it was from a time just before, but still has that a little bit of the revolution going on there. And and I can't I can't remember if it was the Folsom Prison album or the San Quentin album, but I think Johnny Cash's dad was in prison there during the recording. <laughs> <laughs> so for in the audience, so I yeah. I might I might be totally wrong. I'm sure I'm going to get angry tweets if uh, if I am, but um <laughs> I'm, that's my story. I'm sticking by it. Get some angry tweets. Come on. It's, it's um, a made up history podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we always say what we were guessing based on our, you know, random educations. Um, uh, on January 18th of 68, singer and Catwoman, this is a fact, uh, actress Eartha Kitt was one of several in influential women invited to a luncheon at the White House by first lady lady bird johnson to talk about specific issues uh during the luncheon kit confronted the first lady about the vietnam war reportedly saying i have a baby and then you send him off to war no wonder the kids rebel and take pot and mrs johnson in case you don't understand the lingo that's marijuana 
<laughs> Only she That's said amazing. it with a cooler voice. <laughs> uh, um, two days later, in a telephone call, uh, Chicago Mayor Richard Daly expressed his support for Lady Bird and revealed that a w- women's group in Chicago had declared their support for Lady Bird, including a lady whose 20-year-old son had recently died in Vietnam. That didn't do great things for her career, uh, as you can imagine. But, um, you know, truth to power, uh, Eartha Kitt is a badass. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, talking uh, some more about uh, the president, um, on January 19th, President Johnson completed the installation of a tape recording system in the cabinet room of the White House uh, to preserve oh. his discussions of meetings with advisors. Um, it would turn out to be kind of a big deal in about five and a half years. Yeah. So in a in a couple of years of this podcast, we'll probably mention it. Um, yeah. <laughs> if all goes well with our normal schedule, um, on the 22nd, of January, Guy Fieri, uh, American <laughs> chef, technically, and TV personality, definitely, was born in Columbus, Ohio. So there you go, Ohio. Great job. Um, now, I, I, I have to say, like, I have definitely enjoyed years of dunking on Guy Fieri, but um, he has been, since this whole pandemic started, he has been amazing about supporting uh, restaurants and restaurant workers um, and really advocating for them, uh, like lobbying Congress to get funding um, to, you know, to support financially um, you know, places that would otherwise go out of business or, you know, workers who would otherwise not be, you know, getting any financial relief. So have to give it up to okay. the guy. Um, okay, then I'm going to move him up towards my my famous Ohioan Ohioans like Devo and uh and Drew Carey who if you if you listen to XM, listen to Drew Carey's show. It's so good. Um that guy knows his rock and roll. Uh so speaking of rock and roll, one of my very favorite uh musicians ever uh on the 27th of January 1968, Mike Patton. He was born in Eureka, California, which is not too far south of here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, on the same day, British hip hop musician Tricky was born Adrian Thaws in Bristol. So yeah. I think that was a good day for uh, more avant garde and diverse music. Yeah. Yes, I think that's fair to say. And uh, the biggest news this month, though, is not great news. And of course, it's coming out of Vietnam. On the 30th of January, uh, 1968, the Tet Offensive, uh, which turned out to be a turning point in the Vietnam War, began as Viet Cong forces launched a series of surprise attacks all across Vietnam. Um, It began with an assault at 15 minutes after midnight on the Nha Trang Air Base and headquarters of the U.S. Army's 1st Field Force. Uh, The next day, the Viet Cong launched attacks against nearly all of South Vietnam's military bases and major cities simultaneously. An estimated 84,000 troops, a much larger force than U.S. intelligence had forecast, infiltrated provincial and district capitals and took advantage of the Tet holiday ceasefire. More American soldiers, 245 in all, would be killed in action during that day than on any other day of the Vietnam War. So... Uh, yeah, um, Vietnam wasn't going great, just turned south in a major way. Um, and uh, you can bet that those great poll numbers that President Johnson was seeing, uh, it's not going to do great things for them. And this probably, you know, from what we've seen of how Stan and others, Roy Thomas and other writers, approach Vietnam, 
it's it's changed the tone has changed a little bit over the over the time we've been reading from mm-hmm. from full propaganda to uh some more mentions of protesters and hippies and things like that and well it's like getting a little more balanced i would say and uh so this will be interesting to see what happens from this moving forward uh in a few months when when that sort of percolates into the writing of the books yeah it'll be interesting to see if uh you know Iron Man still considers it his holy mission to uh, go over to Vietnam and solve all of America's problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Douglas, didn't you give uh, you, you did a whole presentation around. Uh, oh, yeah. Tony Iron Stark. Man and the military industrial complex. And yeah. just the way that's played out. I, uh, if you haven't already got I don't remember exactly when. Oh, yeah. You must have gotten to it already. You know, within the vastness of Vietnam, where he's like uprooting a tree that has, you know, Viet Cong in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, he's talking, yeah that's done a number strange. of uh yeah, of missions specifically to vietnam at this point yeah as has thor uh, can i point out one uh, pop music thing that also turns up in this month's comics oh yeah which which is i think for the first time in one of marvel's comics there is a full page ad for an album and that album oh. is the mothers of oh. inventions uh we're only in it for the money. It's Frank Zappa. Like it is a full page Frank Zappa ad nice. with bizarre kind of what we now think of as undergroundy or fanzine kind of paste up aesthetic and tiny little type at the bottom that says those who do not c- comply run the risk of a serious status loss. <laughs> I love that. That's I mean, that's wild. That indicates that Marvel was definitely either they definitely had or they were pretending to have a much older and more sophisticated audience than um than comic books were meant to have at the time yeah and they do mention the yardbirds i believe in one of the issues uh that we read this week Uh, it's hard for me to sometimes get them all in my head correctly but i'm pretty sure that happened this week so um you know but to have an ad for, for Frank Zappa for Frank the Zappa the Mothers of Invention, Invention album in that's that's a pretty big uh, sea change in what's going on for Marvel, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, gentlemen, uh, we have a lot of great comics to talk about uh, this episode, so let's go ahead uh, take our first break, um, and when we come back, uh, we'll walk through uh, a few of them in a little high level detail. So don't go away; we'll be right back here on Marvel by the Month. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's do the quick hits. We read 11 issues of Marvel Comics for this episode. Uh, There were another couple of issues that we would have read, but they weren't available on Marvel Unlimited. Those were Sergeant Fury number 52 and Captain Savage and his Leatherneck Raiders number two. As somebody Um, who's read them, you're not missing anything. (laughs) Thanks, Thanks, Douglas. Anytime. Uh, So we'll talk about some of these issues in more detail a little later in the show. Here's what else came out in January of 1968. Amazing Spider-Man number 59. Peter Parker resurfaces from his amnesia vacation only to discover that the new club that Mary Jane is go-go dancing at is a front for the brainwasher who we find out very end is the kingpin. I, I really thought it was hilarious that as he's coming out of, he's just finished having amnesia. Now we're dealing with someone called the brainwasher. It's just a, uh, it's going to go from, you know, 
amnesia to hypnotized is what I ex- assumed would happen, but not this issue. That you um, could write a book on the Silver Age of Marvel Comics called From Amnesia to Hypnotized. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, over in Avengers number 50, Hercules, Wasp, Hawkeye, and Goliath, who has lost his growing powers again, defeat uh, Typhon uh, or Typhon and free the Greek gods from their imprisonment. And Hercules depletes the Avengers' already thin ranks by deciding to return to Olympus. So um, now they're down to like just a few people <laughs> trying to figure out how they're going to keep the thing going. It's, it's Wasp, Hawkeye, and Hank Pym who doesn't have half his power set. Right. He but can, yeah. somebody gets endorsed for the Avengers and an issue we'll be getting to. Yes. Yeah, that is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Incredible Hulk number 102, formerly known as Tales to Astonish, the new series does not continue Incredible Hulk's original numbering from its 1963 cancellation. It just starts at 102. Uh, this first issue of Hulk's new series wraps up his adventure in Asgard. So they did try to, you know, pivot into his own title with a at least a pretty big story. He spends a lot of time hanging out with uh, the Enchantress and Executioner. Um, yeah, as he falls past them and they decide to save him. <laughs> it's just right. like there's all kinds of uh, happenstance, as, the, yes. as it were. Um, uh, over in Iron Man and Submariner, both of them number one. Uh, with Tales of Suspense and Tales to Astonish becoming Captain America and Incredible Hulk and the new Iron Man and Submariner series not starting until next week, Tony Stark and Namor wind up as roommates for a month. Uh, <laughs> Iron Man spends most of his story trying to recharge his armor, of course, before taking on AIM, and Namor continues his battle against Destiny, who, uh, which there's a lot of time spent recounting his the last issue of 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 namor uh encountering destiny so yeah and and this uh douglas you can help out with this so the 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 hat that destiny is wearing that winds up becoming the serpent crown right or how does this do you remember how this all i don't remember i try to blot everything involving the serpent crown out of my mind i think i've been (laughs) successful about that that's fair uh, speaking of blocking out of your mind, um, not brand Eck number seven. Uh, this is yes. this issue features the origin of the Fantastical Four and the origin of Stuperman. Uh, uh, still just totally, I'm sure, hilarious, but I refuse to read it after having to read one full issue of it. So <laughs> Brian will have to tell you if it was actually funny. I, I will say that. By the admittedly low standards that I have for not brand Eck, I actually thought these were better than some of the earlier ones. Um, so they're improving. They are. And one thing I realized uh, reading the first one about the Fantastical Four uh, origin, um, Kirby has got his like his his humor art style dialed in by this point um and it's actually much better and much slapstickier than uh, some of the early attempts so Uh-oh. um i might have to read another one of these and marie severin is inking kirby which marie severin yes. never inked kirby mm-hmm. otherwise as far as i know and it's just a really odd interesting combination to see like severin who was by all accounts the funniest person associated with marvel in the 60s <laughs> yeah. um trying to kind of amp up the funniness of Kirby's very, very broad humor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. We've definitely observed that um, Marie Severin is sometimes 
often the only really good part of the not brand x stuff like her art style just complements that style of you know, like early mad magazine early cracked type stuff um so so well so yeah um, she yeah. could have held her so. own against sergio aragonis yeah uh like mm-hmm. she has the yeah she has the, like the cartoon style very yeah. dialed in and not to mention i mean she does great with dr strange and totally, and yeah. actual comic style but it's except for that whole forelock thing. Um, so anyway, <laughs> and the last of our uh, quick hits, Thor number 150. After the Wrecker killed Thor at the end of last issue, we're done. Now, uh, we learn he's only mostly dead uh, from the goddess of death, Hela, or Hela, depending on how you like to pronounce it. I call her Hela because I can say Hela. Uh, who makes her first appearance in this issue. Uh, and, and the appearance is... I'm going to stick a pin in that, but go on. Oh, okay. Uh, Thor spends most of this issue floating around as a ghost, as Sif is tricked into inhabiting the Destroyer by the Norn Queen Carnilla and destroys the Wrecker in about two panels. Yeah, it's okay. it's simultaneously like really abrupt, but also very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Sif just shows up, it's like, blam, you're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, Douglas, what's the what's the pin? So the pin I'm going to stick in that is that Hela actually shows up very briefly in uh, Journey into Mystery 102. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe in Tales of Asgard. I don't remember where exactly, but uh-huh. I, I think it's just like a little cameo. But I'm pretty sure she's got the head the headgear. Yeah, the full that which is like the they definitely did that very well in Thor Ragnarok. It's the costume is is exquisitely uh, designed and is the full reference to this costume that we see her in and yeah. and have seen her before just as a, in the in passing probably a panel or something in in journey to mystery 102 i'm guessing yeah mm-hmm. now, now the other interesting thing about uh, thor 150 is that the issue of fantastic four that we're going to be getting to happens during it a page and a half before the end we see thor wake up and then two panels later he's off after the wrecker and in there is when he, you know, runs away to deal with the stuff going on in Fantastic Four. Yes. Which also intersects with what's going on in Daredevil and also intersects with what's going on with the Hulk, who is in Asgard uh, at Loki's bidding to distract Odin so he doesn't see what's going on with Thor over in uh, over in his own title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's really, it's a lot of things happening at once. And Spider-Man, in fact, is apparently, somebody later worked out, they're in the middle of his uh, his story that month. There's an, another scene change, which is the only time where he's not brainwashed or amnesiac or hallucinating or something for like a year and a half. <laughs> right. um, and when he comes back from that, I think Mary Jane has a new hairstyle. So uh, that particular appearance of Spider-Man uh, in Fantastic Four, which we will get to, has to happen there. Wow. wow. Yeah. So it's a mega crossover event. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> Let's call it Empire of Secret Wars. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'd like to uh, go a little bit deeper on a couple of titles. Uh, The first one uh, is Strange Tales 167. Uh, So uh, the Doctor Strange story... Uh, not not a lot to write home about, um, but it is called uh, This Dream, This Doom. It's written by Denny O'Neill, which is pretty great. Although not by any stretch of the imagination, one of Denny's more memorable uh, comic stories. Uh, The art is by Dan Adkins. Um, 
so this winds up being the penultimate chapter of Doctor Strange's fight against Yandroth. Uh, it features the return of the Ancient One, um, who somehow did wind up surviving being implanted in Stonehenge by the Top Knot guy. Forlock. Um, um, yeah, Forlock. And, and again, yeah. Yandroth, the Science Lord. The I science just like Lord, to say yes. Science Lord. Uh, but yeah, uh, and I think Denny is the second, third, fourth writer, um, in this so far four part story. So Dr. Strange is just getting passed around, um, to, you know, anyone who can put words in his bubbles. Dan Um, Adkins does some, some, some pretty heavy ink work. That's, um, that's pretty cool. In some mm -hmm. of these pages, there's, it's, it's very, it's getting, there's so much black. It's leaning toward like the Mike Mignola, uh, Frank Miller, style of like chiaroscuro uh mm-hmm. i think he he'd actually worked with wally wood and there's there's a there's a lot of wally wood in what he's drawing here yeah he also manages to draw three splash pages in an 11 page story <laughs> inclu- <laughs> including a full page image of a dinosaur kind of leaping up from ditko space for absolutely no reason at all yeah it's not mentioned before that it's not mentioned after that he just wanted to spend half a page on dinosaur and god bless him Yep. yep, that's. I, I feel like if you want to talk about filler, you can tell by the the smaller and smaller number of panels that are rendered. Like, there's some. <laughs> uh, speaking of, we'll get into the. I was uh, just going to say. Story, I'm not going to. I'm going to argue with that. I'm gonna, <laughs> well, I will fight so, you. Yeah. Well, so so here's the thing. Is it, like so. So I, I see your your three splash pages, uh, and I raise you. Um, uh, the uh, Nick Fury story in Strange Tales one sixty seven called Armageddon. Um, so this is the yes. uh, eighth, the eighth and final uh, part of the uh, Return of the Yellow Claw, uh, written by Jim Steranko. The art is by Steranko, inked by Joe Sinnott, which a plus. So, uh, yeah, this, uh, Douglas, you referred to this in our emails as peak Steranko. It sure Uh, is. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Which is just wild. Yeah. In terms like Steranko likes to go on about all the stuff that he invented, all of his, like the stuff that nobody had done comics before. And sometimes you can say, well, no, it kind of been done before this time. Okay. So we start with a, a full page splash. That's fine. People do that. Then we get a panel that is four pages long. Yep. (laughs) Pages two, three, four, and five are one gigantic image with finally a note at the end uh, credited to Stan Lee saying like, okay, uh, so if you want to see the whole thing, go spend another 12 cents. (laughs) Dissolves into op art. We get more and more and more craziness. We get my second favorite panel of the month, which is just this incredible image of Nick Fury head to head with the Yellow Claw, kind of facing each other, gritting their teeth, blinking their eyes shut, overlaid with this amazing kind of op art color hold effect. It's also a tribute to an image that had been in Strange Tales like 35 issues earlier, which was this the Steve Ditko drawing of When Meet the Mystic Minds, which is like Doctor Strange and the Ancient One. Exactly the same pose, exactly the same look. We get more crazy op artifacts, we get more crazy coloring, and finally we close on a double page splash. So seven pages of this 11 page story are a splash or a proportion of the splash, and it is a two-page image that reveals that the force behind this whole thing is Doctor Doom and the Prime Mover, and they're playing with all the characters we've seen so far on 
a chessboard and this image recurs over and over in Marvel's comics for 50 years beyond this. We will see wow. this this particular image quoted, paraphrased, redrawn and nobody draws it like Steranko. That is my panel of the week. Oh, Final image of this strange tale story. That's, that's yeah, that's a strong strong choice. <laughs> yeah, um it's uh yeah, it, it's just incredible and you can tell that in in certain issues this month and and you know all the time honestly a splash page is a way for the artist to catch up uh or to you know to basically just bang out a page's worth of art um in much less time than it would take to draw four or six or nine individual panels but um there's not the case here there's (laughs) no corners being cut by steranko in any part of this issue um like he puts so he puts more content into a 12 page story than most artists get into 20. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's breathtaking. Like as a designer, I'm floored all the time by Steranko, but this is to, to Douglas's point, there's, there's op art galore mm-hmm. through here. And there's, there's graphic techniques that he keeps introducing that sometimes have been used in some lighter ways, but he uses them so uh, overtly that that they can't that that's part of where i see the argument he makes where he you know he invented this or he brought this to comics um he he maybe didn't in all cases but often he brought them where you can't deny you know you you see them there they impact you in a way that maybe wouldn't have before when you Mm. you know see these these overlays and these uh just crazy design techniques it's it's hard to explain it's like trying to explain ditko in Doctor Strange, uh, but in a in this much more refined and and again, it's just it's just pop art, and it's I mean it's op art at the time, but now it becomes pop art later uh, because of how great it is. Yeah, it's breathtaking, and it's it's so like it, it's so beyond or so different from anything else that Marvel's doing in their superhero stuff that. Like when Doctor Doom shows up at the end, I had this moment of it's like, that's right, this is a Marvel <laughs> Universe comic. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the Prime Mover tells him that it, you know his all of his pieces have been eliminated. He's checkmated, and and Doom just kind of laughs it off. He's like, oh, it's no big deal. And then you get the thought balloon where he's thinking to himself, he's like, I loathe failure. Even with my advanced weapons and matter transmitters, my formations were lost. Perhaps <laughs> someday I personally may. Hmm, yes, someday. So, like, he also just nails Doom in that one panel, you know, where, you know, is the the internal and external uh, voice uh, is just perfect um and we also find out that the uh, the yellow claw that fury has been uh facing this entire time um is a robot um which makes the silver age yellow claw like maybe 10 percent less problematic um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> still mm. yeah <laughs> no, no i don't he's think just, <laughs> he's just problematic for good that's yeah. you know yep whether yeah, or not he's an actual person or a robot or an AI. I mean, then they get, we get into sort of, uh, you know, sentient AI rights at that point too. It's right. a, yeah. Um, he's a, he's a robot stereotype. I should say uh, to try to explain this visual style is, uh, you know, we've said this before, but this is reflecting sort of the, the James Bond period, you know, of, of movies has begun. Ian Fleming's, um, character has been it, the intro scenes to any James Bond movie are these heavily animated graphic pieces, you know, very silhouetted, lots of spirals and twists and things. 
that is that has come to life in a way that doesn't even happen in the James Bond movies in these books. So, um, you know, I think it's informed partially by that, but it's it's taken beyond that uh, and oddly in a static form, but it has so much motion. It It is it's mind boggling. Again, it's just worth a look. Check these out. <laughs> And Steranko is still like, you can tell he's got a lot of Jack Kirby in his DNA. Yeah. And just the, the way that he poses everybody, the way that, uh, the way he draws shadow, the way he has lines and having Joe Sinnott inking him like the same way he inks Kirby, the, the mm-hmm. figure of doom on the last page just looks like a Kirby drawing. But yeah. this is just the point where Steranko just is getting that last little bit of Kirby out of his system so he can just rock it off in his own direction. Yeah. yeah. Which you lucky people are going to get to see next week. Yes. yes. Yeah. I'm oh looking forward to it. It's yeah. very cool. Um, Rob, do you want to switching gears? Do you want to uh, take us through uh, what the X-Men were up to this month? Sure. Um, they, <laughs> okay. In <laughs> X-Men number 42, uh, it's called if I should die. It's written by Roy Thomas, art by Don Heck, with George Tuska inking. Um, right on the cover, this one advertises the death of Professor X. Not a hoax, not a dream, not an imaginary tale. This is for real. Was uh, Douglas, was that one of the first times or the first time that like the not a hoax, not a dream, not an imaginary tale had been used? I feel like I associate that with DC comics. Of the yeah, I mean, I, I associate that with them too. I'm not sure... When that came into parlance, but obviously, like those were those were the tricks that, especially like the Mort Weisinger era Superman books, used yeah. so often that they started having to post, you know, not a dream, not a hoax, not an imaginary story <laughs> on covers, <laughs> just because readers are like, I've seen this one before. Yep. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fool me five times, Mort. Yeah. yeah. Are the X Men yeah. dead again? That's that's what I. I mean, I associate it from reading through the late seventies and and the eighties, starting with X-Men. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. You killed them. It's yawn. Once they, once the Phoenix came back, it was uh, in Claremont's run too in the eighties. It was like, yeah, nobody ever dies. Got it. No stakes. Um, so, uh, so this is not a hoax though. This is for real reader, dear listener who doesn't have to read because we're going to tell you about it. Um, this story uh, begins with Angel angry at Marvel Girl and Professor X for not helping them battle Grotesque, the subhuman. Who uh, lives under the surface of the Earth. That is not <laughs> a problematic content on, a comment on him. The garbage human. That would be right. a, an insult. And he doesn't yes. know the Mole Man either. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. You could make a friend. Somebody <laughs> should introduce them. Tyrannus is down there. There's tons of different communities underneath the planet's surface. Uh, so when Cyclops demands to talk to Xavier, Marvel Girl telekinetically bounces him. Uh, yep. Uh, so what's the secret that Professor X is hiding? He's disguised himself as the inventor of the earthquake device that destroyed Grotesque's people. Um, he hoped to stop Grotesque without putting his X-Men in danger, but it didn't work. Grotesque activates the machine and the countdown to the destruction of Earth has begun. Uh, when the X-Men show up, the boys keep Grotesque busy and Marvel Girl and the Professor use their mental powers to try and shut down the machine. Because uh, they always... Uh, in this time, Professor X spends a lot of time probing machines with his mental powers. It's, yeah. it, it's best to not think about it too yeah. hard. Um, so it's not working. So Professor X gets closer to focus his power more intensely on it. And this time it works. The machine starts slowing down. 
but Grotesque accidentally overloads and blows up the machine, killing Grotesque and the professor. Before the professor dies, he he reveals that he was already dying. So that's okay, I guess. Um, that's it's just such a weird story. Yeah, uh, and 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 that's it for Professor X. I'm sure that's the last we'll see him in the pages of Marvel Comics until we turn the page. Yeah, until we turn the page and go back in time. Right. Yes. Uh, which can't it had to be confusing for the younger readers at the time to be like he's dead oh he's here again everything's good not not as not as confusing as that frank zappa ad was though (laughs) (laughs) if i was a like 10 year old kid and saw an ad for i mean that would be that would have changed my life if i went and bought that album at that time uh wow for people who don't know frank zappa one just Go listen to one of his 40,000 albums. Um, and But specifically, Mother's Invention period is uh, it's more approachable in some ways than some of his work. But it is uh, it it's pushing the boundaries of a lot of lot of things and a lot of musical conventions and, and satire and parody. And uh, just it, to, to think that that's an ad in a comic book of this era is just still making me real since we don't get to see the ads in here. At least we get some letters pages, but we don't get to see the, the ads. So thank you for that, Douglas. That is going to rock my mind for a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> so and, and so the professor, he, he stays dead for quite some time, I think, after this. Yeah, um, he does. Yeah. Which, so he, which is doesn't come back until like right before the X-Men go away. Yeah. Yeah. Which is reasonable to give the X-Men something that they don't have this deus Xavier machina uh, that's constantly <laughs> there to, you know, they go throw themselves at a foe and then he comes wheels up or walks up on his mechanical legs and mind blasts everybody. And that's the end of the show. It's that that is so done now. It's just as done as Tony Stark's constant energy problems or the early humans mm. torch running out of flame. You know, it's just, well, it, it's also kind of finishing up the premise of X-Men at the beginning, which was school for superheroes. Right. Yeah. Like the teacher's dead. You can't have the school for superheroes yeah. anymore. <laughs> and you can see Roy Thomas, like casting about for some new direction to take X-Men after this, it becomes kind of a solo series about some of the X-Men for a little while. Like they don't, they don't really have a group thing for a a few issues after this, the cover design changes and then it changes again when Steranko does a little bit, a little bit later on. Uh, But it need the X-Men clearly needs something and it's clearly not quite working the way it has been. And so this is a big move to kind of break the series as it is and see what it can turn yeah, into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of, of origin stories, we, um, the backup stories here that we just, we're, we're sort of hinting at when professor X comes back, this is called the end or the beginning um, it's written by Roy Thomas, art by Warner Roth, and with Herb Trimp inking. Uh, this is the it's the final part of the epic uh, Living Diamond arc. Uh, it's the it's the first of the origins. It's supposed to be uh, really breaking down sort of Scott Summers' origin. Yeah, and and you you know this story is is forgettable when Tom Brevoort is dragging it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, 
he's pretty yeah. forgiving about a lot of things uh, and knows a lot about comics history too. So uh, for him to, <laughs> he, he dunked it a bit. Um, yep. So the, the first page might be the first time that we've seen a Marvel character use the old Mark Twain line about reports of his death being greatly exaggerated. Yeah. That's uh, certainly not the last time. Nope. <laughs> But you know whose death isn't exaggerated? The living diamonds. Um, Professor X gets Scott Summers to blast him with a vibration device that shatters him into atoms. So <laughs> there yep. you go. All done. Uh, then Professor X takes the runaway orphan back to his house and dresses him in a skin-tight bodysuit with a mask and reveals that he plans to do the same thing with a bunch more teens. So he's going to be the captain of the child <laughs> army. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Xavier is a creep. <laughs> yeah, kind of is. It's, that's why yeah. I was like, maybe with him gone, it would make this book better. But I have, I have read a few of these over the years. Um, in between this and and the yeah. um, impending stopping point for a bit. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it, we're also coming up on. I, I don't think Roy Thomas is even going to be writing the book all that much longer. I think Arnold Drake takes it over in the not too distant future. So I mean, you know, Stan handed it off to Roy because he did not have he didn't want to write it um and now roy has kind of hit his breaking point with the book so it is sort of just getting passed around and um and this is don heck like just phony yeah yeah like like i i'm i'm part of the you know don heck appreciation society Mm -hmm. pretty much i i defend him i think his work in spider-man this month and next couple months is beautiful Mm -hmm. while john romita was off probably working on the uh the giant spe- spectacular spider-man black yeah. and white yeah. magazine mm-hmm. and becoming sort of the creator yeah. director of marvel yeah. yeah exactly yeah um but this like don heck could also do stuff in a real big hurry and it sure looks like this one was done <laughs> yeah. yeah don yeah. heck can pencil like vince galetta can ink sometimes where there's there's occasionally yeah. just greatness and there's often just it got done um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and so I've been, yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been dunking a little hard on Don Heck for some of these X-Men issues because it just looks, some of it just looks bad. Like it, like he, he could have taken a little bit of time to repose that arm or, you know, things like that. And he didn't, <laughs> yeah. he just rushed forward and, um, and it, and it looks either very static, um, even when somebody's leaping through the air, it, it looks like it's just a still frame of somebody leaping through the air. There's no motion to it. Yeah. yeah but you, you're also, I mean, you're getting the, the sense that no one is feeling particularly inspired by the X-Men these days. Yeah, so yeah. it is just sort of like, well, it's a paycheck. And, you know, there's a reason that they shrunk the main story down to 15 or 16 pages and put the backup in. It's just... They're doing you know, the things like early Hulk where they're just like, I don't know, try try new costumes. Just try anything. Throw anything yeah. at this. Yeah. yeah. Kill <laughs> Professor X. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, so there you go. That's uh, that's what the X-Men were up to this month. Um, we're going to take uh, another break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to uh, talk a little Captain America. So stay tuned. We'll be right Ooh. back here on Marvel by the Month. Okay, welcome back. We're going to talk a little bit about Captain America number 100, 
which is the first issue of the new Captain America ongoing series. Uh, Don't be confused. Uh, The story is called This Monster Unmasked, written by Stan Lee. The art is by Jack Kirby, with Sid Shores doing the inking. Uh, So last month, this title was known as Tales of Suspense. Um, This month, it switched over to Captain America, just in time for issue number 100. So this story begins with a recap of Cap's Silver Age reintroduction uh, from Avengers number four, um, where Namor throws, you know, the icy um, form of Captain America into the uh, into the ocean and the Avengers find him and he thaws out. Cap is dreaming all this. And when he regains consciousness, Zemo is ordering the disguised Agent 13 to shoot him, which, of course, she doesn't. She uh, doesn't blow her cover. Um, she shoots just above cap and panther she fakes a near miss yes um and then she's like you know what don't even worry about them um let's get back to your cool orbital death ray (laughs) um uh so (laughs) so then uh she goes with zemo over to the control panel and blows it up with a miniature flamethrower that she had disguised in the uh, valise that she was carrying um so then uh cap and panther rush to her aid and smash a bunch of zemo's lackeys And then uh, they try to make good their escape. Panther's leading Cap and Agent 13 through the hallways of the compound. And then they go through an air vent to stay one step ahead of Zemo's goons. But this is exactly what Zemo expected them to do and was hoping that they would do. Um, Because at the other end of the vent is the Destructon. Not to be confused the with the Destructicon. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the Destructon, um, which, boy, you know, that I could just imagine like the, the scripts had to be done by like five o'clock and it's like 4.52 and Stan's just like, all right, Destructon, go. Um <laughs> It's just basically what I mean, it's kind of like a, a, a large humanoid android with some robot-y parts on it. Um, yeah, he's got like a robot diaper and yeah, a robot, robot helmet and yeah. some robot booties. Yeah. Um, and he bats them all around for a while. Um, and then Cap uh, discovers the uh, its controls on its torso and smashes them. Um, and Zemo shows up just in time to see the destruction of the Destructon. Um, and that's uh, when Cap grabs Zemo by the hood and reveals that it's not the real Baron Zemo after all. It's his pilot. Uh, and Zemo's uh, henchmen are not happy about this at all. Uh, and they shoot him dead right there <laughs> in the spot. Um, so let that be a warning to anyone who thinks they can get a heavily armed cult of personality to do their bidding, not have it come back to bite them. <laughs> Topical. Uh, yep. <laughs> That's why they call them timely comics. <laughs> um, Cap and the Black Panther and Agent 13 still have to, you know, the, the problem of what to do with, you know, all of these armed gunmen um, uh, surrounding them. And at this point, the Black Panther unmasks and he tells them uh, that uh, his warriors have the bunker surrounded and that there's nowhere for them to flee to. But he does promise them a fair trial if they surrender peacefully. Which they do. Which they do. Impressively. Uh, Yes. Um, and uh, it, Douglas, when we were talking offline, you pointed something out about the scene, which I had missed. When he unmasks, he says, I am T'Challa, son of T'Chaka, king of all the Wakanda. Now, we have seen T'Chaka, his father, mentioned before. We have not seen the Black Panther identified as T'Challa before this moment. That is where his name first appears. There wow. you go. Milestone even even with the Fantastic Four having visited Wakanda 
he was always referred to as the king or yeah. the Black Panther, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, they they surrender to him, which is, I mean, pretty power move right there. And then uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. destroys uh, fake Zemo's orbital death ray and the day is saved. Hooray. And then we get the really significant bit of this issue, or one really significant bit of this issue, mm-hmm. which is as they're flying away in a prototype jet from the coast of Africa, quotes, um, we see Captain America say, well, you know, I'm I'm not with the Avengers anymore. Would you want to join the Avengers? I'm going to recommend you for the Avengers. Yeah. And we'll see that play out real soon in Avengers. Yeah. Which is very early. Like to, when I, I didn't remember Black Panther being part of the Avengers this early. I remembered sort of like a, you know, second time he was, he was uh, coming back to the roster for a while. Uh, and he's done, I mean, a lot of people have been in and out of the Avengers, but uh, I didn't know it was this early. I was very excited to see that and, and excited to see him so front and center in this, in this book, like, which is essentially Captain America number one of this age you know uh it's it's great now of course this raises the question of why the monarch of an african nation would want to join a new york based superhero team (laughs) yes (laughs) which is is a big and open question um and what he's going to be doing in new york is something that roy thomas is going to address over in avengers but why he would take them up on this offer isn't really going to be addressed until christopher priest deals with it in black panther in the 90s yeah, because it seems really, uh, you know, things must be going really smoothly in Wakanda or the Wakandas <laughs> if you're going to just go fart around in New York for a while. Uh, you know, like this thing runs itself. I'm going to go over here and fight crime. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, there's there are so many great uh, Kirby moments in here. I, I was so happy. Just the early part. So there's this other piece right when we're revisiting uh, the origin story, the the origin story of waking up from the ice. So the second origin, um, we there's a little bit of these um, sort of weird lines, uh, circular lines, which is a little bit of I think Steranko influence oh, yeah. over on Kirby. Um, I totally see that, and you can see a lot of these things start to play out where Kirby's like picking up. So everybody's riffing on everybody. Don Heck when he's doing Spider Man is just like getting better um and you know based on probably from the first ramita layouts that he was working from you know everybody's just getting getting a little something going from each other and seeing this other work so uh but that that these three panels of cap waking up as he has been remembering waking you know from waking up from the ice uh they're just so Steranko. They're like blue and yellow circles overlaid emanating from his face as he's just in different positions as he's coming to. And I was like, wait, who was drawing this? Uh, you know, and that's, that's just awesome to see that, that overlap. Yeah. You know, something that, that did stand out to me, um, that I, I know that, uh, he's referred to as the black Panther at least once in the story, but they are kind of, referring to him more and more as the Panther, the Panther, the Panther. Um, and this is something that gets a little bit more pronounced um, in, in upcoming months. Um, and I can only imagine that this has to do with the fact that the Black Panther Party is rising to prominence um, in the national culture. Um, and I know that this winds up becoming 
something that Marvel has to wrestle with. Um, so I think it's I think it's doubly impressive that he winds up getting nominated for Avengers membership and they are going to be focusing on the character more front and center um, that they have him be, you know, in this this major, you know, basically issue number one of the modern Captain America comic. Um, while they're still trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, this this weird cultural moment that they find themselves in which is like one of the first big like this name because of that movement is a is a big threat to white supremacy mm-hmm. you know it's a it's one of those first big like it you know it it seems to be fine but for for white supremacists this yeah. this name means something which is yeah. why i love it so much yeah. which um, makes it yeah. even better it yeah. makes it even better that he's fighting you know we turns out to be a fake nazi but or i guess he's still a nazi but you yeah. know he's not the nazi right so. <laughs> it's not the nazi with fabric glued to his face he's just right. a, a nazi pilot so he's, yeah. he's the nazi who was more responsible with his glue yeah yeah <laughs> that's good <laughs> Uh, well, there we go. That's that's Captain America number 100. Um, let's go ahead and take our last break of the episode. Uh, and then we got a couple of comics to talk about um, that cross over um, really nicely um, oh, yeah. and lots of cool stuff going on. So um, stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Marvel by the Month. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's get into Daredevil number 38, and we'll get into Fantastic Four number 73. But first, Daredevil. So uh, this is called The Living Prison. It's written by Stan Lee, art by Gene Colan with uh, Frank Giacoa inking. Uh, At the end of the last issue, we saw that Doctor Doom had switched bodies with Daredevil and locked him up. This is the second consecutive Daredevil story where a villain has impersonated him to mess with the Fantastic Four. Uh, (laughs) Like... Trapster, a.k.a. Pastepot Pete, um, had just done this, and now Doom's doing it. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of a step up in the quality of the villain. Right. Um, I mean, you literally just woke up from fighting Pastepot Pete. I just like to have to call him that. Um, yeah. With, and at the feet of Doom, and then just right back into the same old <laughs> Doom's deal. like, let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's do it better this time. So, uh, Daredevil, in this, this reminds me of, of when read and doom switched trying to explain that in a podcast is is so fun uh so daredevil in doom's body quickly figures out that the easiest way to escape is to berate doom's guards into unlocking the cell door act like doom that makes perfect sense yeah um yeah daredevil contacts the ff to warn them that doom is coming for them in his body, so Doom as Daredevil is coming to the FF. Uh, meanwhile, Doom in Daredevil's body uh, gets jumped by his own agents. Uh, then Doom smacks them around and then shows him his ring imperial to convince them he is who he claims to be. He orders them to attack Daredevil uh, who's coming around the corner in Doom's body. So just <laughs> stick, stick with us. Uh, and Daredevil does a fine job of holding his own but he's still he's getting used to like you know doom's armor and a lot of things like he, and sight <laughs> but mm-hmm. but a cop uh, breaks up the fight and arrests doom's agents in order to prevent an international incident he thinks because daredevil is in doom's 
body and he has diplomatic immunity. So, uh, yeah, so it's just it's it's crazy body switching time. Uh, getting them both in the same scene is even crazier. Craziest thing is that we see Doom in Daredevil's body uh, wondering why he can't see anything yes. and concluding that uh, this must be Daredevil's secret that by, quote, by obscuring his normal vision, he has found a way to actually sharpen the use of his own senses. I like that, <laughs> I like that he assumes he's done it on purpose, like some kind of crazy monk. We also get Reed Richards uh, saying, you know, if anyone could succeed at body transfer, all dooms the one. We know this. He's done it to <laughs> you. <laughs> yep. And Brian, you've thrown me the panel of the month flag as well. Uh, I have. Yeah. So my my panel of the month actually comes from this uh, doom or daredevil, daredevil in doom's body fighting uh, doom's henchmen. Um so I, I think, honestly, like there's several panels from this fight scene that would qualify, but I'm going to go for the full page splash on page nine um, because Gene Colan does such a great job of visually communicating Daredevil's mind animating Doom's body and, and vice versa a few pages earlier. But he really um, he he shows like he, you can tell he's he's thought through, OK, what would it look like if Daredevil tried to use his fighting style when he's wearing this heavy armor and the like, and you can see him like kind of figuring out how to fight as doom as it goes. Um, And it's just like, it's sort of like, I mean, it's like watching face off or something where you see like, you know, an actor playing another actor playing them. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And it, it, but Colin just does a brilliant job of it. It's, it's so good. You can absolutely tell like when, when he has um, uh, doom fighting as daredevil, he's just like plowing into his henchman with his fists. Like it, there's no, nothing elegant about his fighting style. It's just a you know pure street brawl. Almost. Yeah. It looks like his feet are very like in some of these scenes, like you can see them very planted. It looks like the end yeah. of a Muhammad Ali, like longer Muhammad Ali boxing. Yes. Fight, yes. You know, match boxing yep. fight. Um, <laughs> boxing fight. Yeah. That's, boxing that's fight with called. fist punching. Um, yeah. So <laughs> they, uh, you, you can, it, it, you can see those stances. It looks like, you know, he, he, reference some of that kind of material totally yeah totally um so after all this we get a brief interlude where foggy's secret ex-con girlfriend debbie harris not to be associated with blondie uh runs into doom as daredevil and foggy sees him shove her aside which gets his dander up (laughs) so uh he's looking out the window he sees this um you know doom shoving his his secret girlfriend um daredevil as doom catches up with doom as daredevil and hands him a transistor radio. Uh, this is so he can hear that daredevil as doom has ordered <laughs> Latveria to declare war upon every nation that borders it. So, so daredevil's like, I'm in doom's body. I'm going to, I'm going to just tell my nation to declare war on everyone around it. <laughs> so it virtually guarantees that Latveria's destruction is going to happen if Doom doesn't handle it. It's so, a very, it's a very, very clever solution to his problem. He thinks like a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, he a, does. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a. I mean, I would call it a diplomatic solution if it wasn't declaring war, but um, <laughs> well, that's uh, diplomacy. <laughs> so then, then Doom, who's still in Daredevil's body, rushes back to his lab and reverses the mind swap so he can cancel the order, uh, so he can stop this uh, this you know declaration of war from Latveria. 
Daredevil smashes the device so Doom can't ever do it again. And of course, Doom will never switch bodies with anyone else, right? Because he didn't learn the secret of doing it from the Ovoids back in Fantastic Four time. What does he need the machine for? I mean, really? Yeah. So uh, this is also my uh, my panel. It's panels, like a panel and a half of the month. Um, it's uh, page 19, panel three and a half and four. So just sort of, it's just doom. Uh, it's so timely for me right now. Uh, again, to make our podcast evergreen, we talk exactly about the thing that's happening in the news on the day we're doing it. And we can't help it because which we're is so, already two weeks out of date. Yeah. So by the time you hear this, it's at least two weeks out of date, um, <laughs> depending on when, you know, how well we're recording ahead of schedule. So uh, Doom is defeated and graciously yet smugly concedes. So he understands he's been beaten. Uh his narcissism is apparently less than that of a certain political figure that shall remain unmentioned. Um, it was very striking to see him admit defeat and let Daredevil go. Doom says, I have so rarely been defeated that I am amused by the novelty. If I cannot magnificently win a victory, it affords me no pleasure to slay a foe. Uh, so not for the first time in recent memory, I thought we might have been better off with Doom at the wheel of the United <laughs> States, except yeah. that Doom immediately plots his revenge against Daredevil, <laughs> and he he duplicates Daredevil's voice and warns the Fantastic Four that Doom is coming to attack them, disguised as Daredevil. But it's now just Daredevil in Daredevil's body. Um, so, <laughs> and, and da- wait, so didn't daredevil just do this like a few pages back so so. he warned them so now they they might suspect something that they've been warned twice that daredevil (laughs) is uh doom but we'll see in the next issue yeah yeah um so let me uh let me pick up here and uh and take us to over to fantastic four number 73 uh the story is called the flames of battle written by stan lee with art by jack kirby inked by joe sinnott um so uh, this is where the uh, the Daredevil Doctor Doom story concludes, although Doom is not present in the story any longer. Um, this came out the exact same week as Daredevil number 38. So if you were a kid um, and you only had 12 cents, well, you're going to have to make a very difficult choice. Um, so uh, the Fantastic Boys uh, have fortified the Baxter building uh, in anticipation of Doom's arrival. Uh, Sue is not there because she is suffering from the debilitating medical condition known as the first trimester of pregnancy, um, <laughs> and therefore is a delicate flower who cannot be exposed to even a hint of danger. Um, uh, when Daredevil shows up to warn them about what Doom was trying to do, they attack him. Fair enough. Uh, so the first one after Daredevil uh, is the Human Torch, um, and Daredevil evades the torch by tricking him into crashing into a water tower, which puts out his flame. Um, and where there's a water tower, there has to be Spider-Man. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's that's <laughs> the rule of 616. Um, uh, and so uh, Daredevil drags the unconscious Johnny onto a rooftop. Um, Spider-Man shows up offers his assistance he doesn't come out and say it's because daredevil took out the torch but i mean it's there if you want to read into it <laughs> and then uh spidey uh, he's like hang on i got just the guy uh who could be uh a, a help out here uh I, I passed him when i was swinging around town um he swings down uh, over to thor who's pretty roughed up from his fight with the wrecker 
um, in which he, he dies. He's, yeah, he's been dead which he for died. a little yeah. bit. So yeah, yeah. So he's like, hey, I need you to to help out here, Thor. And Thor's like, oh, really? This is not the time. <laughs> but uh, Daredevil, who's bad at learning his lesson, um, heads back to the Baxter Building, um, and Mister Fantastic and the Thing attack him. And so there's a lot of brawling here. Uh, during the battle, Daredevil knocks the thing into Reed's Damalo gun. Um, <laughs> another <laughs> another eight minutes to deadline uh, name from Stan, um, which causes a huge explosion. Um, and this is the thing that convinces Thor to get a piggyback from Spidey uh, to the roof of the Fantastic Four's HQ, which is it's a great scene. So Thor is still depowered by Odin um, for reasons um and so he literally has to climb onto spidey's back while spidey like web swings up and then you know uh, thor is kind of clamoring up spidey's web to get to the the rooftop thor climbing hand over hand on a strand of spider-man's webbing perfect that's that's indelible it's real good yeah just him on the him riding the piggyback it's like such a acute and funny thing to me because he is uh quite a bit bigger than spider-man and they they make it they don't make it as clear here as i think they should but it's uh it's it's just so hilarious and cute i love the whole the whole thing the whole scene and uh, (laughs) i i just like to think of like what a meal uh brian michael bendis would have made out of this like in his avengers book if this (laughs) exact scene uh happened again So uh, let's see. Uh, Johnny wakes up and recovers his flames. So now it's the torch, the thing and Mr. Fantastic against Spidey, Thor and Daredevil. Why are they fighting Thor and Spidey? Misunderstanding. Uh, they're probably doom bots. Don't ask hmm. so many questions, yeah. kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's like because we want to see them fight. Like That's, you know, so they, they really do. They they jump to the conclusion that they must all be Dr. Doom robots and they cling to this for five, six pages uh, as they, they brawl back and forth with each other. They're in a state of paranoia already. They're not sure who inhabits whose body at this point. So, you know, you can give them, cut them a little slack. It's, it's the Marvel universe. They've been told by probably two different voiced daredevils (laughs) or dooms that daredevils coming for them. You know, it's, it's confusing times getting a fight. That's how you solve things. Exactly. Uh, So finally, all the way on page 19, uh, Sue finally shows up and puts a stop to the nonsense. Uh, she knows that Daredevil is the real deal. She was watching the news and saw Doom back in Latveria addressing his council. So all is well, and everyone goes home happy, except for Thor, who's off to get killed by the wrecker. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, it, this is such a fun, wild story. Um, and I really do like the fact that it's basically just Stan and Jack trying to figure out a way, like, how can we have like a half dozen of our favorite heroes just beat the tar out of each other. Um, right. And, and cross promote the comics because, and you know, Stan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like, like lately we haven't seen a ton of the, the cross promotion, but I know from, you know, kind of looking ahead a few months that this is like, Marvel's really going to start doing a lot more crossover stuff. Um, and this is sort of like the, the early toe in the water. Um, you know, they, they did some of it when the Avengers lineup changed um, and they've done a little bit here and there, but um, definitely the books are about to be a lot more tightly intertwined. Uh, so there's, there's uh, our books for the month. Um, 
the only thing left to do now um, is talk about uh, what other comics uh, that are not Silver Age Marvel comics uh, that we would recommend uh, that our, re- our listeners check out. I will uh, go ahead and, and kick off. So my recommendation this week uh, is for something I read uh, just about a year ago. Um, and it's a book called Creepy Presents Alex Toth, which is a really nice hardcover archive of all the stories that Toth wrote and or illustrated for Warren Publishing's Creepy Magazine. Um, I was aware of Toth for years. I'd never really taken a deep dive into his work. Uh, but if you are a fan of EC comics or horror and suspense comics like I am, this is a really excellent way to understand just how versatile and talented a visual storyteller he was. But the main reason I wanted to mention it uh, this week is because Douglas wrote the introduction for it. I did, yeah. And it's a great introduction. I Thank recommend you. both for it. Like, it really uh, did a great job of kind of teeing up it's like okay here's what you're about to read i didn't understand just how many different styles toth worked in it's wild he was he was amazing um i just dug up an old issue of dc comics presents that was partly drawn by him and partly drawn by jack kirby in the mid 80s um it's 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 a weird artifact wow (laughs) yeah uh, and, and Toth wound up doing a lot of animation work, right? Yeah. That's kind of where his career wound up taking him. Yeah. Designed the Super Friends. Yeah. And was he Kirby's way into animation at the end of his comics career, or did they just wind up working together? Yeah, I, I don't really know. Hmm. I know yeah. they both, you know, end up uh, in Hanna-Barbera's, you know, stable at close to the same time, but I don't know a lot about it. I just know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Thundar and Super Friends aren't that far apart in timeline. (laughs) Yeah. But, but it's wild. Like going through this, this, uh, the, the creepy, um, Alex Toth collection, it looks like almost every single story is drawn by a completely different artist and it's all Toth and it's all beautiful. It's yeah. It's really definitely worth checking out. That just makes me wish he was drawing, you know, X-Men something (laughs) right now. Uh, (laughs) Uh, well, Rob, what do you what do you got to recommend to everybody? Uh, in a t- totally different direction, uh, because of our little getting ahead a little bit over the holidays, and I got through one of my giant stacks of current or more current graphic novels. Um, as I teased last episode, um, I was going to give a few recommendations. So this one is Jeff Lemire's Gideon Falls. Um, it started the run in 2018. It wrap it wraps up next year. I'm really waiting looking forward to that i had started tracking lemire years ago as many of us did um mine was uh with sweet tooth which was i think a vertigo yeah it was i think it was one of the last vertigo titles um and then his stint on moon knight was just epic uh but he is he really hit a stride i think in the last like five years or so um uh it I probably there's more, but what I've seen, I just seen his name come up more and more. So he's become one of my top writers. He's, he hits the same marks of rarefied storytelling as Grant or Ellis, um, uh, Grant Morrison or Ellis and uh, Grant, like I, he's my bud, um, Grant Morrison or Warren Ellis, um, but with a, a, his own unique voice. So this, this story is a mystery of missing children and evil barn alcoholic priests church conspiracies and then mind-bending time warps and pure evil that revolve around a town called gideon falls so uh by by page two i was there there was no way i wasn't going to read every i had three 
volumes of graphic novels to get through and i just ripped through them all and then again um and the art uh, so i'm halfway through the full arc totally captivated uh it's also perfectly rendered by uh andrea sorrentino who's a fantastic italian artist um he captures this paranoia darkness both incredibly detailed reality and the fractured and creepy lack thereof um so perfectly just dances between all of these things and uh it's just a fun visual ride and a and a great story so um just another of the 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 comics (laughs) more modern comics to check out yeah as as lock and key was winding down gideon falls showed up for me i'm like oh hi there (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Douglas, do you have any recommendations for our listeners this week? I do. I actually just changed my mind about what I was going to talk about. I was I was going to shout out uh, The Seeds by Anne Nascenti and David Aha, which is an amazing book. Mm-hmm. But specifically, Rob, because you mentioned your fondness for Paste Pot Pete, mm-hmm. uh, there is a very recent comic. It is an Avengers comic. It has Paste Pot Pete in it, and it's not a Marvel comic. Oh, what? Uh, it is published by IDW. It is Marvel Action Avengers ah. number two. <laughs> so the Marvel Action line is a line for younger readers that like license the Marvel characters. IDW is publishing it. There is a new Marvel Action Avengers series. The first three issues are written by Katie Cook, uh, who you may know as an artist and writer who is dedicated to all things cute, small, and funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the second issue is amazing it is probably the lowest stakes superhero battle i have ever seen uh it is uh, about so her three issues are about the avengers on their day off and on their day off captain america and ms marvel uh go to talk to an elementary school about traffic safety uh but the fifth grade teacher is paste pot pete who who can't resist coming out of retirement and seeing if he can take on Captain America and steal his shield. And so we get, you know, Captain America saying like, get that shield away from him. He could hurt himself or scuff it or something. (laughs) Uh, uh, And uh, at one point, you know, uh, squirrel girl is, is on the scene too. And, uh, like Squirrel Girl gets like a cardboard house knocked down on her and just pretends it's crushing her just so she can make Pace Pot Pete feel a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's really beautiful. Uh, Marvel Action Avengers number two. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I love it. We got to send that out to Noah Campbell too. So uh, he he's he seems to end up on our show whenever there's an appearance of of the trapster or pace pot Pete. Um, yeah, just last month he got to take that wild ride. Uh, well, Douglas, thank you so much for joining us again on Marvel by the month. Thank you. This is a joy. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, what, what else can we plug for you before, uh, before we wrap up here? Uh, for wrap up, I'm, I'm still doing my Patreon for the six one six society, which is the daily discussion of, uh, you know, stuff on Marvel Unlimited that's at patreon.com slash Douglas Wolk. And late this year, I've got uh, all of the Marvels coming out. Book about reading all of the Marvel superhero comics. Oh, I cannot wait. I'm yeah. so excited for this. Yeah, I, I remember you mentioning it. I think the first time I think. We yeah, because I, I, I think in the works for a while. I was going to say, like, I think I first talked to you about it 
when I thought this podcast was about to come out and then <laughs> that, and then like another year went by before we finally got around to doing anything. So yeah, it's, um, it, it's such a great idea. You are one of the most knowledgeable Marvel folks I know, uh, and a great writer too. So, um, it's going to be fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. I've, uh, this is the book I've been looking forward to. I mean, I, the, I, I really like Tom Scioli's Jack Kirby, yeah. you know, biography but this one i've been looking forward to especially because of this bizarre book club brian and i have uh (laughs) started uh so we uh and it's also always great to have your expertise you know Uh, yeah it's been it's been too long since uh we saw you in person because this is how we hang out now (laughs) uh yeah. Well, um, as far as our show goes, uh, Apple podcast reviews or any podcast service you use that supports reviews, we would love to get your positive uh, five star reviews. Um, if you'd like us to send you some free stuff in the mail, uh, send us a screenshot of that review to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Uh, we always enjoy getting emails from listeners. Um, we got one from uh, Patrick who said, I learned about your show through the Flophouse podcast when Elliot Kalin mentioned that uh, mentioned being a guest. I have since listened to not only that episode, but also your first two dozen episodes in just a few days. You've quickly become one of my favorites. I've been a comics fan since probably 1976. Thank you for inspiring me to read and reread some of these truly classic comics. Keep up the good work. I'll be caught up in a few weeks, which (laughs) is like, wow. Um, That's a binge. (laughs) Yeah, I honestly like outside of the editing process. I don't think I have listened to every episode we've done. So thanks, Patrick. That's really great. (laughs) I tried to listen to the the first two. Like I was just thinking you just slogged through the first dozen. We're still like figuring out how to do this, like what, what we were talking about, how how to use microphones, how to, you know, be humans who socialize. <laughs> so, uh, so to slog through the first dozen, uh, and, and then become a fan is, uh, is great. I mean, I, I hope you're a fan if you're going to binge whatever 80 plus episodes we, we yeah, have. I hope you didn't start just like hate <laughs> listening to us around episode 60, but Hey, you know what? It's a play. A play is a play is a play. Yeah. So we'll take Tell it. us how tired you get of the theme song. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But thank you, Patrick. Uh, That's awesome. And thank you again. I want to thank, um, I'm just so I'm excited that we have international listeners at this point, um, and a growing, you know, fan base outside of, uh, the U S so of course, Canada, because I love you, Canada, keep listening right in. I'd love to hear from people in Scandinavia. Uh, I'd love to hear from anyone uh australia i know we've got a lot of listeners uh, across the the globe so, so yeah and and when we can actually travel again and when other countries will let us oh. into them <laughs> that we will we will do a live show in canada just so we can wear our matching alpha flight shirts i this is, this is a promise we'll definitely do this uh, and until then, you can follow us on Instagram at Marvel by the Month. Uh, MarvelByTheMonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. Um, so that's it for this week. Until next week, my name's Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay inside and read comics. Mm-hmm.